On Thursday of this week, as I sat down to write my sermon, if you may remember Thursday was Groundhog's Day, as I sat down to write my sermon, I came across a meme that said, the pastor saw his shadow six more weeks of the sermon series. <laughs> Alas, I will be wrapping it up today. Over the last four weeks, we've been exploring the book of Daniel, a story of a few individuals who are willing to be different and in their willingness to stand up, to stand out, to take on the kings of Babylon, they were willing to make a difference. And as we've been reading through this book of Daniel, we have encountered some of the great stories of the Bible. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, some of the great stories of the Bible. And if you're anything like me, anytime we read stories like that, we always want to see ourselves in the heroes of those stories. We do that not just with biblical stories, but any story. Whether we're watching Star Wars, we want to see ourselves as Luke Skywalker fighting the Empire. If we're watching Wonder Woman or Captain America, we want to stand up for fight justice. We always want to see ourselves as the hero of the story. Well, the truth is that we all want to be like Daniel. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional... And I know this is true for me, and I assume it is for you. If you're not careful and intentional, we can end up being more like King Nebuchadnezzar than Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, as you may remember, was the powerful king in the ancient world who, when he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning, people lose their lives. Now, I'm not saying that any of you are angry, violent people, but my suspicion is at least once or twice the thought has crossed their mind that that person needed a good thrashing of some sort. But yet, what about the small ways? What about the ways that maybe intentionally or even unintentionally we have hurt somebody with an unkind word? The way that we may throw somebody under the bus when it suits our own needs or our best interests. What about the ways that we may engage in gossip? Tell a little innocuous, insignificant white lie that may not mean much, the way that we cut corners, the way that we sacrifice our integrity to gain a business deal or to get ahead. You see, all of us want to be like Daniel, but if we're not intentional, we could end up being like King Nebuchadnezzar. As we pointed out in the ancient world, Babylon was a force to be reckoned with, one of the most powerful kingdoms ever to have stepped onto the stage at that time in the world. And this was in thanks, large part, to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the longest reigning king of his day. He was a powerful warrior king. He conquered and seized neighboring nations. And in our text this morning, what you'll hear, what you'll see is him standing on top of his palace, on the rooftop of his palace with his arms extended wide, looking out over his kingdom, taking it all in. And as you'll see, he's pretty impressed with himself and all that he has accomplished. But as you'll also hear, that doesn't last long. I invite you to open your pew, pop, pew pocket Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. And we'll be reading there together. The scripture this morning is from the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 4, verses 28 through 34. Here begins the reading. 
All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king said, Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital for my power and for my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdoms of mortals and gives it to whom he wills. Immediately, the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from the human society. He ate grass like oxen, and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails became like bird claws. When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and then my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored the one who lives forever, for his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eldon, and happy birthday, by the way. I want to say a special welcome to those that are joining us online this morning, whether you're joining us online or via the radio at KTCU. We are glad that you are a part of the worshiping community, wherever you may be. So the question before us is how do we, when, when everything's on the line, when we have decisions to make, whether they be large or small, how do we become more like the heroes of our story? In our text that Eldon read so beautifully just a moment ago, we were able to hear, couldn't we, some of the problem that led to Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. Do you remember what he says? The opening line, is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as royal capital of my power for my glorious majesty. Do you notice how often and how much he uses I and my language? In other words, it's all about him. Now, I want to encourage you and invite you to engage in a somewhat scary exercise. The next time you're in a conversation with a family member, a friend, a coworker, whoever it might be, I want you to notice just how often you use I, me, or my pronouns. How often you always try to turn the conversation to you. Or is that just me that does that? 
sort of like that couple in the first date, right? The guy is going on and on and on about how great he is, and he talks and talks and talks, and finally he stops. He says, I'm sorry, I've been going on and on about me. You talk about me for a while. (laughs) When Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he needs to make a decision, he is going to do whatever is best for him. Whatever will help him get more power. Whatever is right in his own eyes. And this idea, this idea of doing whatever is right, people doing whatever is right in their own eyes, this was not new to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't make this up. In fact, I would argue that in many ways, that is the heartbeat of the biblical story. And every time we see this theme come up in the Bible, it's a reminder about the truth of the human condition, and that is that all of us, we want to be able to do what we want. We want to be able to determine what is good and what is right. But you may remember in Genesis when we meet Adam and Eve, they're walking in the garden, and God tells them that they can eat anything that they want except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what's the problem with the fruit of just this one tree? Well, you may remember that in the chapter before, Genesis chapter 1, God who creates everything at the end of every day would look upon it and say, this is good. The only time that God says this is not good is when Adam comes along and God realizes that Adam is alone. And in that moment, God says, this is not good. You see, in other words, you and I are not meant to define what is good and not good for ourselves. From the very beginning of Scripture, we see that God and God alone is the one who is to decide what is good and not good. And that is the only thing that is off limits, is that knowledge What's good for you may not be good for me, and what's good for me may not be good for you. And what's good for King Nebuchadnezzar is to throw people in a fiery furnace when they go against him, when he doesn't get his way. And the truth is, you don't have to look too far into the future. You don't have to look too far in history to see what has happened when people decide to take that knowledge of good and not good upon themselves. Neb decides, Neb, Nebuchadnezzar decides that what is good is whatever will bring him more power. That the reason that Babylon is so great and so powerful is because of him, because of his skill, because of his talents, because of his hands. How tempting it is, is it not? To look at everything that we have, the blessings of our lives, where we are in life and all that we have and all that we are and believe that everything is because of us because of our skill, because of our talent, because of the hard work of our hands. If we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we can look more like Nebuchadnezzar and less like Daniel. Well, you heard what happens next. This voice comes from heaven and says, essentially, you're going to be driven away from human society. Your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You should be made to eat grass like an oxen. And all this will happen until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals. Earlier in chapter 4, Daniel had warned Nebuchadnezzar that, that all of this would happen if he didn't change his ways. 
if he continued to act like it was all about him, if he failed to acknowledge that, that ultimately God was the one who was in control and he was given chance after chance to turn around to do things differently, but he doesn't do it. And so now his kingdom, everything is taken away from him and he's made to be like a beast of the field to eat grass. You see, Nebuchadnezzar thought it was all about him. But what he failed to recognize is the fact that the very breath in his lung, everything that he had, everything that he was, had nothing to do with him and everything to do with God. There was that phrase there at the end of the passage that I read just a second ago, until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. That one line is repeated four times in a very short two to three chapter section of the book as a way of, of allowing the, the author to make this point crystal clear that God is the one who makes these things happen, not us. That God is the one who puts kings on thrones but also has the power to remove them. God is the one who does these things. King Nebuchadnezzar is about to lose everything just so that he will learn and understand what really matters in this world. In the very next line, you heard it. All of this was taken away. And he ate grass like oxen. His body was bathed in the dew of heaven. His hair grew long as eagle's feathers. His nails became like bird's claws. This reads sort of like a, a fantasy novel, doesn't it? Like Game of Thrones or Harry Potter. This king becomes like a beast. Hair like feathers. Nails like bird claws. You see, what the author is trying to tell us here is that when we allow ourselves to be guided by our own gut impulses, to decide for ourselves what is right, what is wrong, what is good and what is not good, instead of allowing God to do those things for us, well, then we become nothing more than wild beasts. We want to be like Daniel, but if we aren't intentional, if we're not careful, we can end up being like King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, truth is, not a lot of us here are kings and, king, kings and queens of our own kingdoms. But the truth is that we are all working towards something. We're all building a kingdom of some sorts, right? Whether that be trying to create an ideal career, or, or maybe going after that, that degree that we are working so hard for, maybe a, a dream job, a, a title, a salary that will say you've made it. Maybe it's a, a bigger house, a circle of friends that make you feel like you belong. What kingdom are you building? Now, let me just point out that none of those things that I just mentioned are bad in and of themselves until until they become the driving focus of our lives. So again, I ask you, what kingdom are you building? What drives you from the moment that you get up in the morning? Where do you vote your, your time, your energy, your focus trying to accomplish? Are you building a kingdom that will give you more glory? that allow you to decide what is good and what is not good? Will make you more comfortable, make you more influential? 
What kingdom are you building? And what's the point, ultimately, anyway? You see, the truth is, is that none of us, none of it is guaranteed. None of it is permanent. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, all of this, all of these things, this stuff can be taken away. We certainly can't take it with us when we die. The best that we can do is to pass it down to our children, but that just means that they're gonna continue that cycle generation after generation. The truth is, though, it doesn't have to be this way. That doesn't have to be the end of the story. When that period was over, we read, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. All he had to do was to look towards heaven. Not to look in the mirror, not to look upon his own actions, but to look towards heaven. And in that moment, his reason is restored. He didn't apologize. He didn't beg for mercy. He just lifts his eyes to heaven, and all of a sudden, his mind clears, and he can think again. This foreign king who oppressed people is now praising God. You see, he thought it was all about him, but he came to realize, to understand, that it's all about God. You see, church, if you are spending your whole life building a kingdom of your own, you might be successful, and you might even be happy for a while, but it doesn't always last. And at some point, we come to the realization that it's not about us, that we aren't meant to be the hero of the story. God is. You see, all our kingdoms, all of that, all that does is, is cause us to, to want more, whether it's more money, more power, more influence, more stuff. And any time we begin to feel like we've arrived, well, then in that moment, the threshold is raised. There's a new bar. What kingdom are you building? Are you trying to build a name for yourself? Are you more interested in making your name known or God's name? Are you more interested in building your own kingdom or building up the kingdom of God? You see, the book of Daniel shows us that no matter what kingdom we are building, none of those things last because there is only one kingdom that will last forever, one king that will rule forever. And spoiler alert, it's not me and it's not you. The kingdom, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to build is the only kingdom ultimately that matters. And if you want to be a part of building up a kingdom that lasts, if you want to be a part of building a legacy that matters, then why not be part of building up the kingdom of God? That is how we can be like Daniel. Instead of looking out over our kingdoms, we lift our eyes to God. And that is when our reason is restored. That's in that moment when we allow God to be a part of, of, of how we parent our children, how we make decisions, how we conduct ourselves in business negotiations, how we treat people. You see, you don't need to quit your job. You don't need to become a pastor or a missionary to become a part of the building of the kingdom of God. In fact, notice that Nebuchadnezzar goes back to being king, but now, this time, things are different because now it's not about him. 
He gives God all the glory, allows God to define what is good and what is just. And that is what we are invited and called to do as well. So what would it look like if we were to do just that? What if we were people that were less concerned with our bottom line and made decisions on what is the right thing to do in the eyes of God? What if we were people that didn't abuse our authority but instead used any influence that we have to lift people up, especially the people that the culture tends to push down? What if we were people that didn't seek out the spotlight, but any time the spotlight came to us, we used it to divert the attention not to ourselves, but to God? What if we were people that were more focused on serving others instead of being served? What if we were people that were constantly characterized by people of extravagant generosity? People of forgiveness and grace and love. You see, we all want to be like Daniel. But if we aren't careful, if we aren't intentional about it, we can become like Nebuchadnezzar. You see, the world teaches us that we should chase whatever will make us happy, whatever will make us feel good. But the bottom line, it's not about us. You see, the truth is, church, if you want to make a difference, well, then you have to be different. If you want to make a difference, you have to be willing to be different.
it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Oh, my God is an awesome God. Hallelujah. Let's give him the praise. Lift, lift up. Sundays in the book of Daniel so much. I know that you've been challenged by these uh, sermons just as I have. How amazing that such an ancient book can speak with such clarity to our lives today, to contemporary issues, to what this faith journey is all about. I'm thankful as well that everything that happens in worship brings us eventually to this table because this table is all about the kingdom of God made known to us, Jesus Christ. We rehearse his final meal with the disciples and we are reminded that Christ is at the center of all we do. That night Jesus took the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. When they had finished eating, Jesus took the cup, he blessed it, he gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This is the new covenant poured out in my love. Each time you share this cup and break bread in my name, remember me. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, we come before you in humility and yearning, broken and lost, in deep need of transformation and direction to partake of this bread and wine, this channel of your grace. We resubmit ourselves to you, O God, so that we may live differently, so that we may better orient ourselves toward ourselves, our neighbors, and our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. People of the kingdom, this is the holy feast the gifts of God for the people of God. Let me invite you as the bread is passed to take it. And when you have the cup, hold it until we are all served 
and then we're going to take it together.